right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Black Women Voices. Once again, uh, if you've been listening, we are in season three, and this is episode seven. And today's topic is personal for all of us, right? As Black women, but as Black women pursuing doctoral degrees, and as Black women who have earned our doctoral degrees, we're talking about imposter syndrome, being a Black woman, and pursuing doctoral degrees. So we have two great um, guests today, but before we allow them to introduce themselves, we just want to check in with everyone. This is Dr. K signing in from Greensboro, North Kakalaki. What's going on? <laughs> Hi, all. It's Dr. V um, in Kansas. <laughs> and Anne in Illinois. Oh. F is silent. So, and why you gotta be all soft and like, <laughs> like, <laughs> why you gotta do it to us? Right. I just, I want, I have to because y'all be coming out so strong. And I just want to point out that you all are doctors already. I'm oh. still in the throes of the fight. So my voice is softer because I'm tired. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's Listen. coming. And, and that song, Greater is Coming, girl, it's there. Right, you, you, gotta gotta grab the car. you better give a shout out. Yes, <laughs> no, no, I love that girl. I that girl, too. she's so little and just can sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get right into today's conversation. I want to give honor to our guests and allow them to introduce themselves. We have Angel Howard and Kiana Schreier. So, who wants to go first and introduce who you are? Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. I guess it's. I'll start. My name is Kiana Shariah. I am a doctoral student at University of North Carolina in Greensboro. I'm working on my proposal. So my first three chapters, my, my focus is persistence and resiliency of former foster care youth that have obtained a bachelor's degree from a historically Black college or university. I'm also in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I work um, as a director for Community Standards and Conduct at Johnson & Wells University, so it's a PWI, and I also dabble in some diversity, equity, inclusion work here as well. So thank you for having me here today. And I am Angel Howard. I am currently the Associate Director of Professional Development and Staff Recognition at Illinois State University, which is also where I am getting my um, doctoral degree from in higher education administration. My study focuses on Black student affairs staff and their experiences when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion work and its connection to kind of the glass cliff where we're put in positions where we're not supported to, not supported not really given what's needed to succeed and what they're asking us to do. So just want to get the experiences out there because we don't have enough literature about staff. We have a lot about faculty and specific positions, but not a whole lot about staff themselves, especially this last year, because I'm sure everybody been asked to be on 10 committees and fulfill some type of DEI responsibility as a person of color. But I also am the owner of Necessary Change Consulting LLC, where I do a lot of this work outside of my day-to-day job. Yes, both ladies. Y'all know. The topics alone, the topics alone is groundbreaking, right? So we're going to get heavy. We're going to get into this. So my first, first thing I want to talk about is what made you want to pursue a doctorate degree? Hmm. So truthfully for me, I had no aspirations in the beginning. Um, My goal was to just to get a bachelor's. 
Uh, I am actually a high school dropout. I dropped out when I was 16. I was an emancipated adult. So I was just kind of living and I was pretty content with the way I was living. I worked a lot of jobs, made good money, not good money, good money, but you know, it was good money for somebody like me back then. And it wasn't until I had my daughter that I was like, okay, what's next for me? And I wanted her to go to college. And so I, I started feeling like that, like a hypocrite, like how can I make her do something that I wasn't willing to do? And so immediately after I dropped out, I got my GED. That wasn't a question. That was never an issue of my intelligence. It was just a my priorities had to be working instead of going to school. And so when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was 20, 27 at the time when I had her and I was already broke. So like not working wasn't a big deal. I already knew what it was like to be broke as heck. And so my husband was like, okay, why don't you go back to school? And so I started my undergrad when I was 28. I was completely cool. I'm like, just let me get this bachelor's. And I've done more than most of the people in my family. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, First generation when it came to immediate. And so I went ahead and I was a part of TRIO Student Support Services at Heartland. And when I transferred to ISU, I continued to be a part of TRIO, which is kind of where I was nurtured and loved on. And so the director there when I was about to graduate, he was like, all right, what's next, Angel? And I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm good. I did my part, right? And he was like, nah, no. He said, you you apply for the master's and I'll give you a grad assistantship. So I applied for the master's, um, social work. He gave me a grad assistantship and I, I pursued that. And in the midst of that, I got hired on full-time working as a TRIO academic advisor. And so that was kind of like my thing. So then I was like, okay, well, just let me do this master's. I, I'm doing more. I'm killing it now. Right. Still never cared about a, a doctoral degree at all. But I was watching, you know, one of my best friends do it. And she she's younger than me, but she's still kind of like my mentor in many ways when it comes to academic stuff. Because to me, I'm first generation all day, every day in every piece of it. I call myself a first generation professional, too, because I fell into higher ed. It was never a goal. Right. And so watching her when it came down to it, she was like, Angel, you know, you just need to do this. Right. And I knew that there was places that I wanted to reach. And places that I wanted my voice to be heard, that I was already going to deal with drama because I'm a woman. I was already going to deal with drama because I'm Black. But I was like, if I can at least have Dr. Wright before that, at least I could cut through a little bit of the tape, a little bit. And so that's kind of what pushed me to do it. But it was it was probably my best friend and just knowing that it that I could do it probably, right? That was my thing. I could do it probably. And that it would help me in the future things that I wanted to do. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Come on, Kiana. So for me, I never thought that I would go into a doctoral program. My first goal or first dream was to go into, well, first the Air Force and then be a JAG officer. And so once I went to A&T, just my life changed because I, I became involved in a lot of programs, a student leader. I was a resident assistant for the longest. And so it has a residence life, you know, they, they, they brought me in and groomed me to be the person I am today. But I was like, okay, I need to do something that I, you know, I love developing other students. And so that's why I fell into love with student affairs. And I didn't know that that could be a real job. And so I talked to some people that was like, oh yeah, that's a real profession. I was like, oh, okay, well, let me shift a little bit. And so I went to the master's program at ANC as well. Well, I also, took a little break and then I came back and worked in housing and residence life there as well again. And then certain people talked to me. One of those people was of course, Dr. Dixon. And then my boyfriend was also in my ear and they were like, so what do you want to do? 
And, you know, I was like, mm, you know, they was like, you know, you don't want to, you know, just stay here and do this. And so I'm like, well, you're right. And so, you know, Dr. Dixon was like, she had me right out of plan. Like, what do you see yourself in these few years? And I was like, hmm, you know, maybe I can be vice chancellor student affairs. Of course, everybody, you know, think of that. A lot of people say, I want to be, you know, VP. But, you know, I was like, I want to be VP. And of course, she asked me why. And then she was like, well, you know that you can't just have a master's and do something like that. And so I was like, mm, you're right. And so she had me like talk to the, the vice chancellor at a t as well. And she had me research and she was like, OK, well, you need to pick a plan and get into a doctoral program. And so I also, like I said, have my boyfriend in my ear like, mm, you know, I need you know, you need to make it happen, too. So I applied for three schools, then get into two. I was disheartened and I actually got into my last one. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe this is meant for me um, to go into. And so, of course, I had bumps and challenges through the road, but I knew that me having my experiences of, I am a former foster care youth as well, first gen, you know, knowing my family, of course, is no doctor. <laughs> so it's just like, you can do this. You can be that voice, be at the table and open the door for people who, won't have that opportunity. You should be able to tell your story and tell the story that people can succeed who have been through the things that you have been through or have not been through. And so I was like, you know what? I can do this. It may be a struggle sometimes. It may be like, I'm tired of this, but I know that the end is going to be greater, not only for me, but for other people that will come before me and see my story and be like, I can do it too. Wow. Both. That's awesome. Listen, yes. those yeah. are, I mean, I, I think back, I don't even know. I don't know why I wanted to, pers- I, and every day that I'm pursuing the degree, I still am trying to, I think I'm getting closer to understanding, but yeah, I will say that I kind of feel like the, the, the beginning of my journey, at least, was to, I will say to not impressed, but to make people proud of me. You know, that was the beginning of the journey. And then I quickly realized that if I wanted to pursue a doctoral degree that ain't nobody else here with me. Like I'm I'm, I'm doing this on my own. So doing it for someone else, yeah, no, no. Learned that very quickly. So yeah. And also I wanted to get a PhD in business at first. Mm. I I started off, I went to a program, I think it's called like the PhD project sponsor. And then they like bring you in. It's like a conference. You come in and they give you all these different assistance pieces and there's a college fund and everything. And I just knew I was going to get a PhD in business because I knew I wanted to teach, you know, but yeah, that wasn't my testimony because the GMAT also you know God kind of redirects you right like I took the GMAT twice and I didn't get a score that I guess I guess that would get me in grad school but at the time I'm like man like you take it as a personal failure but it's really just God redirecting you towards a greater person that's it that's it it is yeah you know you, I think everybody um, that has spoken thus far has said something about to the context of I did this not only for myself but for the people behind me, um, you know, and wanted to prove, et cetera. And I think about my reason was it was the last promise I made to my grandmother before she passed. 
And Mm -hmm. what people don't know, and I shared this in a podcast I just did the other day, is that I failed statistics in my uh, master's program, which put me out of the master's program until I appealed. And because of that, I had like a three point something GPA. I didn't meet the GPA requirements for a doctoral program. Mm -hmm. So the only reason I got into my program, the school that I accepted, is because they said, we will accept you conditionally, which, and I, what does that mean? I was like, well, you have to make A's, like the first three or four classes. And I'm just like, I don't even really want to do this. I'm just Wait, like, A's? A's. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. And I was just like, well... And I was in my head, like, well, if I ain't meet the GPA requirements, maybe that's not my quality to do that. <laughs> but, you know, you know, like, and so I, I said, yes, I'll do it. And I made A's the first two or three classes. But it took me two years to realize, Kelly, you got to figure out why you're doing this for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's powerful, though, right? Like, to really think about the reason, the genesis behind the choice. Because I think for me, I've always wanted to be one that did it. But I think when we think about, we never really have the conversation, well, we maybe do amongst us, but what happens when we get there? You get, so, so you, so you put all the effort, you do all of those kinds of things, and then you get there. And what is the environment like when you're in the air up there? So no one really kind of has that conversation. And, and, and I think I have that with my, you know, with my family or whatever, but so kind of, that's kind of why I pursued it. But I also kind of want to hear from you all's perspective. So you did that, you put all the energy, you know, you had people pushing you, people encouraging you to kind of do this whole doctoral journey. So you get there, you get in your classes, what was that experience like? What, what did you have to transition? Was it, a, what did that experience like? And, and how, and how were you able to bring your intersections with you in that experience as a black woman? Hmm. For me, I actually uh, started my cohort with all black women. So it's four black women. Yes. How <laughs> I will give it up to <laughs> Dr. McGowan, I don't know if y'all know Brian McGowan, but he, I guess, talked to all, <laughs> I guess I had conversations with everybody, but, you know, somehow he had a piece, and I think, making that happen, and so all of us was from, you know, different backgrounds, HBCUs, PWIs, all working within student affairs, and so we built that circle, like one of our programs we had, we had a panel and it was called oh, a sister circle with the circle beyond broken or something like that. And, you know, just to talk about how, you know, we needed each other to, you know, to somehow make it. So maybe two of us was in a class together and the other two was in a class together. And one time all four of us was in the class together just to help the next person make it. And so you had someone who you can talk to to lean on. Now for me, as I share privately, I am not that outspoken. Like I'm outspoken depending on if I feel comfortable. And so for me, it was just like, mm, I don't know, you know, asking people for help. I was just like, I'm not doing it. Even though I should have, you know, I might tell my students, you need to go to your professor and ask for help. But for me personally, I had to learn how to do that and step outside my box and be like, if you want to finish, you got to be uncomfortable sometimes. And so that helped me. Some of my professors, <laughs> oh, Jesus, being at a peak, 
MSI, I guess, that we're supposed to be. It just was not easy for me. And I didn't feel comfortable with certain professors, as you can say, with, with more so some. But I was able to always go back to Dr. McGowan for assistance if I needed like to talk with someone because he was of color. So having representation there was needed, yeah. even if it was just one. And so I, I see how being now in my position you know, having to be that one person. So I know it was hard for him being that one person, but I was glad that I had someone that I could talk to, even if it was just for a little bit, because he did move on and leave. And now I feel like, oh my God, how am I going to make it through? But I'm making it. (laughs) I'm making it. And, you know, sometimes we still check up on each other. My former cohort, two of them already got there already are doctors and so that's another thing you know like oh my god I I didn't make it when they made it at the same time you know feeling that but having to be like okay you on your own path own journey but I was thankful for having those people with me so for me when I started I think it was a really hard transition because I came from psychology social work like that my goal was to always be a family counselor like that was what I was going to do And when it came to undergrad and the master's, like that stuff was easy to me because I knew it. Like I knew that stuff. Nothing was new language. So I wasn't having to really, really fight to understand the literature. Like I I knew it. Well, when I switched to higher education, that was new to me. So I knew no lingo. I knew no language. I knew none of this stuff. And so I really, really had to dig into the books and still look confused why people around me were talking about, you know, stuff that they knew that I had zero experience of. Even in my job at TRIO, I still believe I was in a social work position. Like the work that I was doing in TRIO was social work all day. It was counseling. I had some academic stuff to it, but that's it. Like most of it was counseling. So it was all new. So I felt the work was harder. And so I did end up with an amazing cohort though. Like we were half folks of color, half not, but we all like, extremely loved each other immediately. We were a family. And honestly, without them, I probably would have quit a long time ago. And half of us are done, half of us aren't right now. But where my challenge came was within my first year, my whole life blew up. Like my, I found out that my, my ex-husband was like crazy, (laughs) just out there bad. And so I ended up going through a split and divorce within the first year of my program. And I'm going to tell y'all, that put me in a place where I was like, read, write, (laughs) help me breathe right now, you know? And so all of these amazing plans I had to be organized and know exactly what I was going to be doing and staying focused and having all my readings in order. I spent a whole year just trying to breathe. Well, heck, I spent a few years trying to breathe, but really that first year was very, very hard for me. And so trying to do this plus do life was very challenging. And so I think that's where my my really hard transition came from was just trying to do this as a single mom, you know, not single, single, because he was still a father there, but trying to now do this separated from the life that I knew was very, very hard. And so I think that was probably my biggest challenge. Yeah, yeah. And before we uh, move on, I want to give honor to our other co-hosts that just came on. Jasmine, you want to shout yourself out? Hey, hey, y'all. How y'all doing? (laughs) (laughs) I just get home off work. I work with Trio, too. Angel. Is it Angel? Angel. (laughs) Trio. So I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Hey, (laughs) y'all doing? Having to take some of my kids home. So now I'm home. 
So I'm glad to be with you all. Good, good. So Angel, you you hit on something that I kind of want to explore. It's this whole idea that life still happens when you get into these programs. And for us who are first gen in a doctoral program and we don't have family that has been through the process and they don't understand that, oh, I can't come to your mm-hmm. today or I'm going to miss the next couple of Sundays at church because I got to work on this and this is the only time my professor can see me. So let's have this conversation about this whole idea of support systems, honoring you as a person and understanding that life still has to happen, but you can't give up. Yeah. You know, I lost a lot of friendships during this process and they were friends that I had for a lengthy amount of time. But what I learned was I was the one who was kind of holding the friendships together, you know, and I'm not talking about my road dogs, like my rider dies. Like I got two that's, that ain't left my side, but the ones that have been in my life that I thought were very consistent, you know, they didn't understand that. Why can't you come celebrate me? Why can't you come do this? Why can't you come do that? And, and they couldn't understand me putting my, my family and my studies as a priority. Like that's what had to be the priority. And so I realized how selfish people could be during this process. You know, even people who have went through the process were still selfish, even, you know, while I was trying to do, but it made me recognize the type of friend I had been. I'd been the glue that was sticking things together that probably should have fell apart a long ago. So I think that that, I think that's hard for folks to really gather. And even when I was going through my divorce and everything, I had people that just weren't really even connecting how hard it was to keep those things, to to actually try to be successful in, in the areas that I was in. And again, I saw people's selfishness coming out and I just was like, wow. So it was a, it was a big eye opener for me. And it made me be a better friend. <laughs> like it made me be a better friend to people because if there was any shortcomings that I was doing when people were going through their stuff, like I'm like, yeah, okay, I know now. Let me make sure that I give you what you need. But I did lose a lot of folks that just didn't care. <laughs> they just didn't care enough about my success in the areas that I was really fighting in as opposed to what they needed from me. You said a whole word, (laughs) right? I mean, I think that, I think that going through a doctoral process, a lot of people, you're in the middle. I felt in, I feel in the middle, right? So you have people who don't understand what the concept is. So they have these expectations of you. Why can't you come to the barbecues, baby showers? You know, why can't you be present for us? You know, then the other side is, well, you know, you super smart. And that to me just revs up imposter syndrome because you're not feeling smart going through the program, but then, you know, so, so it, it, it is such a, it can be a very challenging place to negotiate. And I find myself saying stuff like, I ain't coming, I, like I was like this, like four, you know, three or four years ago, I'm not coming to anything. If I'm, if I come, then I'm there. And if I'm not, don't ask me. And also, please stop asking me when am I gonna be done. Like, there's a day, there's a definite end. Like, I'm gonna graduate in four years. <laughs> oh, the next God. person to ask me that, I'm going to maybe choose violence. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's disrespectful. I think that's right. the hardest thing is people. That's the the question. When are you gonna be done? I thought you should have been finished. First of all, <laughs> if you was in my position, you would not be saying the same thing. And you're not in my position. You know, like you, so you can't say anything. Just let me 
be in my little box and let me finish because I'm tired. Like I want to say, Lord, when I'm all going to be done. So when someone else asks that question, it's like, you don't understand the process. I know I had, you know, love my mama, but you know, she's, she's older. She don't understand. So she's like, oh, this is like, you getting a bad. She was like, she was like, if I was in that position, I would have been finished. Mm-hmm. Wow, Mama. <laughs> and I love your mama. mama but not no. Maybe would have been. I'm gonna talk to you but later. <laughs> I'm gonna talk to you later because that's the hardest thing, you know. No one thinking that you should be finished, not being like you have a plan, mm-hmm. or you think you have a plan, mm-hmm. and that plan not always being that plan, and you have to realize it's okay. You know, you can't always be done in that three years, that four years. Five years, you know, whatever timeline you thought you had, like it's okay to to go past that, and you have to be okay with yourself to just keep on, keep on going, no matter what anybody asks or say. And something you said, really, kind of both of you, that really kind of made me really think about once we get in there and we get in these spaces and we have these conversations that make you question, "Am I smart enough to be here?" Like mm-hmm. I know I got in, right, but right like and and so like what it really kind of talks in this impostorship syndrome and the truth of the matter I didn't know anything about impostorship syndrome until I got in it and I was like oh yeah this is what this is so Mm -hmm. so what did have did you experience that how what did that look like and are you still in it like what what does that look like hmm you know I think where I struggle the most is with people. So like in other areas of my life, like my work, my business, people would consider me an expert. I don't consider myself an expert. I don't, I don't really do that because I'm always a continual learner, but they would consider that. And so when I come into this space where I am not the expert, then there's this fear of feeling stupid, right? And so Mm -hmm. I came in really trying to find people to help nurture me and help me feel better about that. But where my dilemma was, I went to school where I worked. So therefore, people knew me from the work that I did outside of being a student. So when I sat in front of them as a student, they still saw the work, the work that I do. So they didn't look at me as this vulnerable person that really, really needed them. And so I felt like I was passed over many times from people that I I seek support and mentorship from. And so when I would try to hold conversations with folks like that, that's where I think that imposter syndrome really came in because it's like, I want to be vulnerable and ask you for what I need, but yet I also got to be strong because you you playing me like I'm not, you know, not supposed to even be here. And so I ended up not being able to ask people for the help that I needed through faculty and through folks that I really thought would be on my side because I watched them do it with other students. So I'm like, okay, they're going to be good to me because they they were good to the students I sent to them. But for some reason, I wasn't looked at as the person that needed that support. And so they didn't give it to me. And so sitting in a room with people, again, who knew this work, who knew higher ed, when I would want to say something, I would feel so afraid to say it because I'm not going to say it right. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say it the way that y'all say it. I'm not going to know your acronym. I'm not going to know this and that. And there wasn't a whole bunch of space for me to have that time to catch up because everyone else was so far ahead. And so I may be good at what I'm doing, but I wasn't feeling good in there. And so I just didn't feel supported in that way. I mean, I love my cohort. I love the people around me that were my friends. But when it came to like really needing 
to feel like I belong there, that wasn't always there for me at all. Do, do you think that has anything to do with this whole idea as Black women, we take on this persona, whether intentionally or not, being strong Black women. And so I have to be strong because you think about the our ancestors and what they went through. And then we, you know, fast forward, we hear we have to take on that strength because society said, oh, you're a black woman, you can handle it. And so you go into a space which tells you, well, I don't, well, I guess since I can handle it, I shouldn't be asking all these questions, right? Mm-hmm. You come to the table with this knowledge already, when in reality, no, sis, mm-hmm. this you ain't been here before and it's okay. And I always have this conversation around, I don't want to be a superhero. I don't want to wear a cape. I when If I don't feel strong, I want to be okay in saying I'm not strong today. I don't have it today. Uh, but I can give you what I got. And be, mm-hmm. But then you get to these tables with people who don't look like you. And they only know from societal views what it looks like or means to be a Black woman. In their head, oh, you're a strong Black woman. You, you're going to always get it done, right? Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there like, well, how do I get to the next step when I know you're the bridge that needs to be there for me? Mm-hmm. Like, what are y'all thoughts on that super woman, strong black woman philosophy, especially, you know, as it relates to imposter syndrome and feeling smart? And I think we <laughs> have areas to learn. Kiana, I'm going to pass it right to you, but I need to say, and I hate to say this, I don't like to openly say this ever. But because we're in here talking for real, I have to say that it wasn't always people that didn't look like me that made me feel that way. Oh, we're going to get there. (laughs) Listen, listen I'm going to take you there. Listen. I'm always taking you. (laughs) All right. I'm sorry, Kiana. No, that was good. (laughs) That was good. I think for me, it was, you know, coming in, being one of the youngest in my, you know, my cohort, being one of the youngest within the program coming from an HBCU and then going to a PWI and not having that, I guess, bridge or transition that I needed, trying to be like, I know I'm smart enough to be here, but sometimes feeling like, I don't know what y'all, you know, I don't know what y'all talking about. I'm trying to get there. You know, I'm trying to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do when it comes to my, my job. And my job was, housing was just ridiculous and you have to be like on call on on go 24 hours so it's like not caring that I also need that support you know going to school and not having that many people that I can talk to to be like I just need you know someone to lean on who's going through maybe going through the same thing and then sometimes feeling like the people who look like me I'm like they you know, I hate to say, I was like, they smarter. You know, I felt like they smarter than me. Like some of the things they saying, they had um, more experience within the field that I didn't have. And, you know, they say that you should have all, you know, this long at the time within the field before you get into a doctoral program. But it's just like, are you saying that I'm not, you know, like, does that say that I'm not even smart enough to be at the table? Like I need to be here a little longer and learn what, because I think I'm in it. But I think that comes with a lot, like being in job and they're like, oh, you're in a doctoral program. You should be the speaker. You should be presenting all the time. You should be the one that we call on on the top. No, <laughs> you know, I'm still learning. You know, I'm still in school because that's what this is. So I do think, you know, having that perception, like I'm supposed to get it done regardless. 
you know, it's sometimes hard and you have to be like, okay, I, I know what that stereotype is, but I still fall into that stereotype and trying to make sure that I still uphold that perception that I am strong and I'm going to get it done. And so much of that though also feeds into this. And we've had this conversation on this podcast, but so much of that feeds into this idea where black women can't be vulnerable. Right. Like we're not able to display any modicum of vulnerability right. to say, hey, listen, I actually maybe is, I'm not okay here, right. you know, and whether that is, you know, looking at that critique of the strong black woman and so much that we know what happens when we, when that moniker is placed on us, it's really operates like a choke, like a stranglehold where you can't even, th- you can't even say, well, you know what, hold on, can we pause? And it makes me wonder when we think about that label, and we think about how that showed up in tandem with kind of impostorship, that's a really smart connection too. Who put that on us? Was mm-hmm. that something we took on? Was that something we, did, did we apply for a job we didn't know we, we had applied Listen, for? Because I like, want my money. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, like, like what, what, and who benefits from us taking that on? Yeah. We always put it on ourselves. Like as black women, we just do. It's a responsibility that was placed on us way before we even were a part of it, (laughs) way before we were even, you know, made that decision. It's just what you're taught. You taught us even from growing up, especially if you grew up in a low income household, you know, it was the the oldest girl taking care of everybody. It was, you know, it was just the responsibility placed on you. And so I think for me also to be vulnerable in the space that I'm in at the job that I work at. If I show you my weakness here, will you then question all the work that I do not in this room? And so that was a fear of mine. Like, I need you to know that I know what I'm doing out here. But if I show you that I don't know what I'm doing in here, will that erase everything that I've worked all really hard for for all these years? And so that was my challenge. But it is this space of not wanting to look like I got enough people looking at me, you know, as less than. And so you try really hard to minimize that. And the only way you can do that is by showing that I can do this. And you know what I tell people all the time, because we're overworked. Most of the time, we always get all this work put on us. But the reason we continue to be overworked is because we make it look so good. Yeah. Yeah. So even though you gave me all this stuff to do, even though I'm stressing and freaking out, it's going to come out flawless. It's going to come out with just this magic. And it's going to come out amazingly exactly how you want it. And you could care less about the pain that I went through to get there. But because I refuse to look bad, right? because because that's what you want to see too, because I make it look so good, we don't, it never eases up on us. But behind, so that is us. But behind closed doors, we're suffering. We're crying. We're doing, we're beating ourselves up. We right. at the cost of our own self. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, Angel, you, you brought up something that I always talk about. It be your own people, be your own kinfolk, right? Yeah. And then the lack of support, the competition that comes between us. I'm, mm. tired I'm tired of it. For what? Like we can all sit at the table and eat. We all can, right? And a lot of that has to do with one, recognizing our vulnerabilities, self-awareness, calling a thing a thing, and rec- and also recognizing that we were created to be community. Mm-hmm. Community is just not one or two people. It's more than that. It's a diverse group of people. And as Black women, can you imagine how powerful we could be if we just learned that? You know, mm-hmm. now Black women are, are becoming entrepreneurs at the highest rate 
where black women are educated higher at a higher rate right now. Mm-hmm. And we we just out here <laughs> letting society tear us apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but if you think about it, where did we get that from? Where did we get this idea that it's better to tear down my sister than to build her up so that we can that, so that we can link up and build community to disrupt stuff? white supremacy? Thank you. Thank you. We think about, you know, Audrey Lord, you know, the master's tools will not dismantle. Come on, like think of think of our foremothers that were theorizing this. You know, it also makes me wonder what was happening in Zora Neale Hurston's life that she had to write that, you know, that she had to, you know, not all your skin folk are kinfolk. Who, right. who did that? Who stuck her in the front? Not, not the back. Who's the, yeah. who, 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 who did that in the front <clears throat> to where she was like, y'all need to know, yeah. don't fall for the okie doke. Right. <laughs> like, just because they look like us doesn't mean that they are thinking for the best, for, for your best interest and for your best behalf. And it's painful. You know, I tell people all the time, white folks let me down all the time. And but I have an expectation of for it to happen because of the systems. But when a black person hurts me, I'm just like, oh, why? Why? And so what I what I was talking to someone about is that, you know, some of my deepest hurt has come at the hands of black women, but I never want to admit that. And the reason I don't want to admit that because I'm so protective of black women. Like I want to protect them with everything I got. And so therefore it's hard for me to talk about how hurt I've been by them as well. And so that is painful. Like it even hurts me to say that right now, because I'm not just a mentor to people. I'm a sponsor to people. I put people on and that is what I believe in. I believe that there is space for each and every one of us, even when it comes to my business. If I can't do it, guess what? I'm making sure one of my sisters can. And so that is just my motto. So when people don't reach their arm out to me in that same way, it hurts my heart. When people look at me as competition as opposed to their sister, it breaks my heart. Like it takes me a minute to heal from it. And that's my doctoral journey in many ways. It's people that have harmed me that I was looking for love from and that I was looking to give love to. And it's just, it's sad that we can't talk about it because you are breaking a code to talk about it. But if I don't talk about it, how are you going to know that you hurt me? Mm. Trauma. Girl, that's some trauma. That's the awareness and calling out. That Come we on. afraid to do. Yeah. That, yeah. And this, when you said that, what triggered for me was this whole idea of, you know, Black women being so loyal to Black men. You know, you think about domestic violence, all those types of things. And, oh, I'm not going to say nothing because I don't want to put another Black man in jail type of thing. Right. But among women, it's like, it's the same thing. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, not this one. Hmm. I ain't going to live like that. I have lived majority of my life trying to please people, trying to be what people want me to be because of whatever they see in me. And when you look around and as I'm moving up and I'm trying to give a handout, you don't want to do the work. You're just here just to stand by to reap off of the oil that God has given me. I don't Mm -hmm. want to do that. Mm -hmm. That wasn't my purpose. That's so powerful though. Like even thinking about this code of silence and like swallowing our pain, like knowing that we are in spaces where, where the very people who you would think you would get in there, oh, you gonna, you, you gonna look out for me. Even though we don't know a rap sheet, like we, we, we don't know, there's no action bubbles that we know. Okay, so here's who you are. Here's your credentials in terms of how you really look out for folks who look like you. Mm-hmm. And we get in there and we see 
that they are the ones who are doing the damage, but because they are a part of a system that wasn't built for our humanity, they get rewarded for the very thing that on paper, it looks like they wouldn't do. They get rewarded for that, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't, that's, I'm, shoot, that's why I'm in therapy right now. Like right. that's literally, <laughs> let, let's call a spade a spade. I'm in therapy right now for the trash box things my advisor did. So mm. I'm done, ha, I'm delivered. You know, right. I can really talk about it, right? And yeah. so, and so that, that's some powerful stuff, right? And especially when we think about impostorship syndrome, because some of that is fostered through those types of behaviors, mm -hmm. those types of, you know, I, I don't even know if it's like, it seems like an academic hazing when we get into these spaces, it's like, well, I went through it and I'm going to have to beat you down and make you feel like nothing mm -hmm. so that you know that it came from me, that it came from my hands, that you couldn't have survived and thrived without coming to the well that is me mm -hmm. like that yeah. is the 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 damaging things that I've seen with black women in in the academy and you know we think about where did they get that from like it's a cultural thing for us mm -hmm. it's a cultural thing for us like we we believe we as black people even believe that way with our children I just made a post I think like a couple weeks ago where I talked about you know hustle Right. So we teach our kids the hustle game. And what I said was, you know, my day of hustling was a different thing because I was a poor kid. I was a poor adult. So hustling meant my meal. And so for some reason, when we teach our kids to, now, I hustled to make sure that my kid lived a better life. But yet I somehow want to teach her how to hustle, how I hustle. She can't do that. She's a privileged kid. She's had some opportunities that I never, ever had. So we got to stop trying to push things on people just because we experienced it. I still want her to hustle. I still want her to know how to take care of herself and make money, but she don't have to hustle like I did. I hustled to eat. She just needs to hustle to make sure she's keeping some money in the bank because I'm never going to let her starve. Right. And so we got to stop putting those same things on people thinking that it's a rites of passage. Don't haze me the way you were hazed as a black person or as a black woman in this academy, simply because you were done that way. No, help me, teach me, show me, still show me how to hustle, still make me work hard, but don't put me through heck just to do it just because you went through it. That part. Because let me just say this. They didn't even go through it. Like some of this stuff that people be putting you through, in academia, they didn't go through it, but because they feel like you either need to go through something or you need to work harder, or in some way you need to have some level of deference uh, to them for the stuff that, like, it's ridiculous. And mm -hmm. being this millennial, I guess, that I am, I buck against that system each and every time. But then that lands me in more like, oh, well, I don't really want to talk to her, you know, mm -hmm. When, when in fact, it's your behavior that you don't want to take responsibility for that got us here, especially yeah. in academia. Now, I'll say in my graduate program, I've been very blessed to have supportive people, but I also want to say I've been the only Black person in my class. So mm -hmm. I've not had this idea of competition because, the, the simply put, there was not that idea that I need to compete or I, did I need to do anything different? So I don't know. I had to jump in, y'all, and say that because <laughs> oh, that touched you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. nerve. But you know, the other thing, shift gears a little bit. Still, you know, on this thing of imposter syndrome. But we're talking about all of this in the process. 
two of us on here have completed the process and it don't get any easier. Mm-hmm. You know, black folks, and I don't know the exact numbers, contribute what less than 5% of black people have a doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. Then that are black women, right? And so it's not a lot of us. But even in that, it's always amazing for me. I'm always be who I am without this degree. You know, I my purpose is to help people. And it's really unfortunate when people see the doctor in front of my name and they automatically assume how I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to act based off of other black women that are doctors in their life and how they've been treated. And so when I come in and I say, Oh, you you're in a doctoral program, let me help you get through it. And I say that what that looks like to me is, you know, I'm free this month. So send me your proposal. I read through and give you a little bit of feedback. It's on me. You ain't even got paid for it. And they just don't know what to do with that. I wouldn't know what to do with it. Like, <laughs> you don't. And so <laughs> what I want to have this conversation around, and I always tell my coaches and those that I'm helping through the process is that you start branding yourself in the process. Don't wait till you become a doctor to start branding who you are. Because, for example, you know, my research is in HBCU student affairs assessment. If I hadn't started talking about the work that I was doing while I was in the process, you know, doing blogs, all of that, when I finish and come out and try to, you know, help someone or work somewhere, they were like, who are you? Okay, what? No. So you start that network. That's what white people have been doing. They brand before they even finish. People know who they are before they even adopt it. That's true. So that's what we need to start doing. Mm-hmm. When you get to the doctor, when you become walk across the stage and they call you Dr. Um, Howard, Dr. Schreier, people know you. People are not saying, oh, well, I got to figure out what kind of you know, Black woman doctor she's going to be. Mm-hmm. Because in the process, you've been putting yourself out, you've been showing yourself to be the type of um, Black woman that says, I want to give back. Even Mr. me going through the process. So my question here is, when you think about, you know, you all are at different stages of the process, what are you anticipating? What are some, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be ready for this, once you put that doctor in front of your name? What's that feeling? Only thing I worry about is student loans. I don't want to do that. release. I don't want to hit after that. I mean, of course, I still know that there will be doors that I have to crack open and break down. I still know that I don't have any, I'm not fooled in any way to think that just because I'm Dr. Howard, that's going to change. Like, I know that it, I still got to deal with all of those challenges. I'm still going to have to deal with the same people that look at me any kind of way. I'm still going to have to deal with white men thinking that I'm not as smart as them, even though they only got a four-year degree or whatever. So I know that all of that is going to stay. But I think that for myself, my health will change to be over this program. And it will be a moment of being able to help others on the level that I want to help others. Like I can't give myself, I give way too much of myself right now, which is part of my problem when it comes to the program. I tell people all the time, I've helped so many people finish their degrees. I've helped so many people get through the hard stages, but yet I've not turned that stuff inward to me. And I think that that is very sad. And so I need to learn how to believe myself the way that other people believe what I say to them. And so I just need this to be done just because I can't allow myself to give up. So I do know that out there, I still have the same exact stuff that I'm going to deal with in the fields that I've been in. I have no different expectations of that. But at this point, it's really just me dealing with me. Right. Yeah. 
And, and I agree with that. For me, my first thing is going to be relief. Like, oh, Lord, this actually happened to me. Like, I really am a doctor. And then next, I guess, you know, I've been thinking about, like, what's next? So I, I know I don't want to be where I am today, like right now, where I am. So wondering, thinking, praying, like, Lord, lead me into what you want me to do next. That will make me, of course, happy, make me think like, okay, there was a reason for you to get this degree one. And then knowing that I have others that I need to help get to where I want, you know, that I am, you know, now I have friends, we know some of them who are, you know, trying to get to the program that are in the program and, you know, using that, the experiences that I have went through to be like, okay, this is what you need to do a little differently. This is what you got to do now, you know, cause I've been through it. So it was for you to have a little bit more easier than me. This is what you need to do. And so just making sure that I, I do the work and that I'm fulfilled doing it. Yeah. You know, self-care during this process, <laughs> it is important. I wish I had a proper support system. I know part of that was I didn't want to ask for it. And we talked about that. The other part was I really didn't want to do the degree, but I couldn't tell other people that because it'd be like, well, then stop. Then I'm like, all right. <laughs> so it was a, a balancing act for me. The amount of times that I cried, I wanted to do some unnecessarily unmoral things to my life because it was just, I don't have anyone to talk to. And even people that had already went through the process, it was kind of like a, a one-way street. Like I'll reach out, but they would never reach back out in a way that I felt they needed to if you say that you're going to support me on this space. And so I know when I, I had an email set up to quit. Mm. Two days later, they called me and said, oh, we're ready to do your final dissertation defense. I was ready to quit at the very end. That's how tired I was. Wow. And I remember, because I, I remember writing in my journal and I remember praying once I got there and I said, God, when I walk across that stage, I will make a vow to help any Black man that wants to pursue a doctoral degree. Yes. Whether they pay me as a dissertation coach or not. Yeah. Because I don't, and every person's journey is different. And, and Angel, you mentioned that, but I want to give honor to that person. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, since then have made that pact to those who reach out, created spaces um, for those folks because I mean that thing. Yeah. We, and, and I just go back to when you all were talking about your topics, we need those voices. Who else going to write about it? Who else going to do it? Right. Well, Angel, I'm going to try not to get oily. Um, but uh sis today has to be the last day that you deny yourself yeah yeah and whatever that looks like going forward it's gonna be what it's gonna be hey reach out to me whatever with whoever today has to be the last day because you got a spirit yeah and there's a call and, yeah. and you know, listen now. Now, now I'm oiling. It's a there's big a call, call on her there's, life. There's a call on your Ooh. life, and I know you outside of this. 
I know for a fact there's a call in your life, even though that's the beautiful thing about friendship. Like you don't have to talk to everybody all the time, mm-hmm. but you you still know like there's still there's still something there. And I love the beautiful, you know, like the verse of, you know, iron sharpens iron, but you have to make sure that you're around the right person who can sharpen you. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure that you are with someone who can pour life and speak life into you when you're having those moments. I remember my best friend telling me, she said, you give yourself three good times, three real, real good times that you're going to quit yeah. where you, you done. Like Kelly, Kelly, Dr. Kelly was like, I had the email written. I had some hell experiences with my chair, mm-hmm. hell. And it was by the grace of God that I got done period, mm-hmm. point blank. It was nobody like, and he put somebody and the person who I was going to say no to, because I was too, I was too afraid to open up my mouth and ask for help. I was with, I was with Dr. K. We were together and I was like, girl, I don't think I'm going to do it. I, I, I don't think I'm going to go. I remember that. Part, yes. I, I, t- I was like, girl, listen, she, she really wants to be with me, but I just, I, I'm, I'm too afraid. Mm-hmm. I don't want the repercussions of what this meeting can be. And God kept putting her like it was it was insistent for her to reach out to me and I didn't realize. And so I think the beautiful thing when we think about iron sharpening iron and really what connection can bring, sometimes it's not only about us finding them, it's about being receptive to who comes to us as wow. a result of that too. And, and really saying, God, every, every person, the person who was supposed to pour into my life, let me be in a space to where I can receive it. And the ones that shouldn't, that I reject that the ones that don't get the opportunity to say, well, the ones that are like, you know, you can't make this without me. You should be pouring into my life anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, and the beautiful thing about, I love this space and Dr. K has always been one who cares about pouring into people that's in her doctor or not. That's just who she is. And I think when we think about Black women, we think about ourselves in these spaces, we come into people with people who don't always care about that. They care about the doctor in their name and you going to put some respect on their name Mm -hmm. and they don't care how they make you feel like trash in the midst of it, right? And so not only do you have to finish for yourself, but you have to finish for the next person because there is another angel coming up. There's Mm -hmm. another Kiana coming up that needs you to speak life into them because Mm -hmm. their journey has been hell, whether that's people, whether that's places, whether that's situations, they've had that experience and you're going to be able to encourage them from a space of, you know what it's like. Oh yeah. Um, Right? Like you have to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, Kiana. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Don't make me cry on this um, thing. I'm I'm over here like, right, because I was tearing up with your things. You're like, "Mm -mm." you know, Kiana, we, you know, when we met, I had just started at A&T and you were, you and your your program, you only a student there. And, you know, I ain't going to put everything out there, but, you know, people will speak against you in so many ways. Uh Uh-huh. And I think about some of the conversations we had and to look at you now, right? And so I think one, that's the privilege and and benefit that I have. And I think others can attest to when you're a mentor, a coach or a sponsor to someone to be able to see somebody on a journey and to know behind closed doors, what you've gone through, to know your life 
in terms of you're turning your lived experience into your dissertation topic. Mm. <laughs> and what was amazing is how, you know, when we have our little meetings, we're talking, right. <laughs> you don't study. I don't know. Like, let's bring this together. And when you find <laughs> I was like, okay, cool, cool. And, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but since that day, I think at least, if not once a month, every two months, I had someone come into my space talking about foster care students going to college. Mm. And that's why you can't give up. That's why you have to finish, right? Not only because it's a lived experience, because this is purpose. Right. And I am so extremely proud of you. Girl, I don't do this. No. Let me cry. <laughs> You know, we have to reaffirm each other. Right. And so when I think about, and you talk about going from HBCU to a, a PWI or historically white institution, you know, have a people term it. And, you know, people already have their voice on what HBCU is and how they prepare them for the next level. Mm-hmm. I remember having a conversation, like, I don't know what this is going to be like. Know that you made it. Your mm-hmm. proposal stage which tells me that, you know, you're not too far. You're right at the hump, right? I am, I'm excited for you. <laughs> truly, truly excited for you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and just b- both of you all. Appreciate it. I'd say the world would be in a better place because it has a whole lot to do with more than us. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's a, it's a start. And these are the voices, your voices are needed in spaces that you don't even know that you're going to be in yet. Mm-hmm. But you got to be ready. And like Dr. V said, you got to be receptive yeah. to the spaces that are going to be placed in front of you. Mm-hmm. You have a circle here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going we gonna to make this thing happen. When I win, we all win. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a connector. And sometimes... Mm-hmm. I used to ask God, why do you put these people in my life? Because I don't really need them. And I come to find out I meet someone else and I'm supposed to connect those folks. If that's what I do, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So this conversation here has re- just re-energized me and my purpose. And I'm excited for the work that you all are going to do. Don't stop. Keep going. It's coming. <laughs> Copy. Self-care. Mm-hmm. You got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and you got to remember that you matter enough to to provide care for yourself you know I think that's one of the things that and we've talked about it in our other shows too in that I think we do such a great job taking care of everybody and a mama Mm -hmm. plus some but we don't always put that same type of care and concern you you said it Angel you know as it relates to our you know our our health or our well-being and 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 there's things that happen in the doctoral process that really that will mess with your mind your body, your physical health, and even your spiritual health. And, and heart. Like check, 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 uh, check all that apply. We'll, we'll do it, right? And we'll try you, you know? And, and it's funny too, and I did, we didn't get a chance to talk about this too, but I've often wondered, you know, if, you know, especially, you know, if we identify as believers in this conversation of impostorship, but it's like, well, my identity mm-hmm. is supposed to be based in you anyway. Mm-hmm. So, where am I getting this, you know, that I'm not enough, but my father says that I'm enough. So like, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you forget all of that, even if, you know, it, it, and it's, 
And I think that's what happens in this process. And so what I've often kind of got from this is just there's so much value in community and people who can speak life in you and to you when you have those moments of, you know what, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I, I don't think I'm enough. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the embarrassment you got to fight the most to me is for some reason, we feel like we should be embarrassed about something. It's the craziest thing in the world to me. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, we we're we gonna get better. We're gonna heal. We're gonna yeah. start dealing with stuff and start healing from things. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. That's yeah. that's the goal. But okay, so because we don't want to be in here long. Let me get to <laughs> yeah. This this was good to my soul. So this season, our theme has been around unmasking. And, you know, defining unmasking, you know, what mask are you carrying? And, and not just the, you know, the actual mask, but in general in life. And so the question here is for both of you, what mask, if any, are you wearing? And are you still wearing it? Mm. I would say, you know, I kind of brought up the word embarrassment. And I would say that that probably had was a mask that I was wearing for a really long time. And I think it's just a, a feeling of like, how can I put it? So I, I was fortunate enough to remarry. My husband is the best, like the bomb.com, loving the death. But there's this space of vulnerability when it comes to school that you don't even want to let the people closest to you in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I won't say that I don't have people that are willing to support me. You know, like my supervisor, bomb.com, amazing. Best person I know, always wanting to help me. But there's this space of embarrassment where it's like, I don't want you to know that I'm struggling that hard. You know what I mean? And so I would say the mask maybe that I'm wearing is that everything has been okay for a long time. And so even with my friends, they love me. They want to support me. But you go through this moment of just being stuck for so long that you don't know how to tell people to help you. But yet I'm okay though. I'm good. I'm okay. I got this. Until you're not okay. You know, so I think the only mask that I've worn is that I'm good and I I got this, even though in the background I ain't got it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the same. I think the biggest thing was like thinking or having others think perceive me like, oh, she, you know, it's easy for her. It's it's nothing. She gonna blow, she gonna go through it in three, yeah. three years. You know, I'm taking all these classes, knowing. I didn't need to take all them classes, you know, at one time, like, girl, take your time, thinking I had to rush, and like, oh, I want to be that one that said, oh, I did this in three years, you know, I did this so fast, like, I I had it all together, and I didn't, and so that was my biggest thing, and knowing that it's okay, one, to ask for help, it's okay to be uncomfortable, to get out my shell, out my box, not feeling like I don't matter at the table. And so once I got that together and, you know, having those people to be like, okay, breathe life into you, as you say, and having my boyfriend who was very, who's very supportive, be there to be, be like, you got this. Let me cry when I'm like, oh, I can't show everybody else I can cry, but I'll be like, I can cry in front of you type thing mm-hmm. that it's okay. And so, you know, now I'm starting to take that away. Like, y'all, it's going to happen when it happens. Like, I'm going to get it when I get it. Like, y'all better leave me alone type thing. So, yeah. yeah. Learn to remove that mask. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So we have a couple of questions that we also ask guests. One is, what kind of music are you listening to now, especially as you're navigating this process? And I know this is going to be a trick question, uh, but what kind of books are you reading right now, too? Well, I'm going to start because right now I'm not reading no book. <laughs> Literature review. I don't read it. So that's that's maybe bad, but that's that's so key. But music, I love hip hop. My city girls, my making this stallion. But then I add in my Jesus music, gospel to get me through. So, you know, once I'm crunk doing all of that, he soothes me out, soothes me out um a little bit. So I'm just eclectic when it comes to that. Yeah, I'm an all kind of music person, but I listen to a lot of neo soul and a lot of gospel. So those are like the things that I go back and forth with. Actually, if you listen to my playlist, you're going to be like, oh, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so no telling what the next track will be. But um, music has always been my life, though. So that's a big thing. When it comes to books, again, I'm not doing a lot of reading for fun, but I have had some books that I really like just kind of helped me in in voicing and finding a way to explain my experiences. And those were Carol Anderson White Rage explained so much to me and gave me words to put in a lot of the things that are happening right now. And then when they were her property, it made me really think about experiences with white women and why we have so much. That's a whole podcast by itself. If y'all would ever want to do that, please invite me. But just the dynamic between white women and black women and the harm that they do to black women like that book, I never knew the history and the violence of white women to black uh, women who were enslaved. And so it really helped me find a way to to see why we're where we are today. So things like that helped me. What's the name of that book again? Um, When when they were her property, y'all, y'all going to be like, they were her property. Yeah, it was actually a Black woman's dissertation that she turned into a book, but she ended up researching. As it turns out, white women own more slaves than white men ever did. Mm. When it was time for slavery to end, it was them who refused to let it happen. But if you think about it, we was feeding their babies. We was cooking the food. We was doing all the domesticated things. So who would want us to be in the space more? And so that when you read it, you're going to be like, what? Oh, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's going to have to be. You have me, you have me coming podcast. to work <laughs> <laughs> I was like, now, nah, I've never heard of that. I've heard white fragility, but you you said when, when they were her when property. When they were her property. When we were her property. When we were her property. Maybe it's we were her property. Not they were. We were her property. No, maybe it's in my car. It's yeah, something else. To, um, oh, make, yeah, that's going to have to be another podcast. Right. <laughs> Okay, so, so last question. When I question. Disagree, I'm writing a book about it. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> hey, you got to. Hey, you got to. So our last question, what does this podcast, Black Women Voices, mean to you? For me, I'll start. You know, it was an opportunity to voice my truth as a Black woman, being in a space that I was comfortable with because it's people that look like me who's been through if not the same experience, but almost the same experience as me and knowing that I'm not alone to say how I feel, not having to feel judged to be like, "Mm, you feel that way? Like, no, (laughs) y'all understand what I'm going through. So having the opportunity to do that. And I think that this is a great opportunity for people who want to get out their box like me to start to be like, to, to answer those questions, to reflect and think like, okay, I can, I can do this as well. And to get that, that, what is it? 
the breath of light that y'all gave at the end. Like we needed it. I know we did. Um, so that was very appreciative for that. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, thank you again. Yes, thank you. Definitely just, you know, I mean, I, of course, I don't really believe in safe spaces, but I would say spaces where you can feel warmth and nurturing and that no one is going to cause you harm purposely. I would say that that is what, you know, spaces like this are. And I appreciate hearing people's perspectives and also being able to see that you're not alone and just the community of it all. Like, you know, you don't, I work in a predominantly white institution. I live in a predominantly white town. There's not a lot of time or opportunities for me to be around folks that have the same mission, you know what I mean? Which is to feed and pour into others and to build and to uh, create opportunity and all that. It's beautiful to be in a setting like that. And so it's great to see uh, young Black women. I think I'm, I'm probably older than everybody in this room. <laughs> but it's great to see young Let Black no women. Cry. Thank you. Thank you, boo. Thank you, boo. Uh, <laughs> but it's amazing to see that and to be around it. It feeds me. I don't feel any, you know, it doesn't threaten me when people are younger than me doing more than I am. Like that feeds me and it makes me feel good for any struggle I've ever had to show me that, you know, generations under me are like killing the game. And that's what I always want to see. Yes. Love it. Thank you so much. Definitely want to thank you both for being here. We've had a great yeah. Conversation. We could definitely do some part twos and three right. um, based on some of the things right. you said. Uh, but want to give you honor. Like I said before, keep thriving, stop surviving, start thriving. Ask for help if you need it. We're here. You know, reevaluate your circles if you have to. Academy needs your work, they need your voice. Mm-hmm. Dr. V? I mean, I agree. I I think one of I think the beautiful thing is we all are just committed to not only wanting to do this work in community with us with each other but we really believe in creating spaces for black women to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so any way that we can do that Angel I know I know you but you know like any way you know that we can do that like you know and just maybe like what whatever whatever maybe if that's a once a week check-in or whatever that is that you see that you need um we're down for that thank you Uh, jasmine you have any last sentiments jasmine killing it with this photo that's all i got (laughs) (laughs) i'm literally smelling shea butter and coconut oil right now just so you know <laughs> I don't have anything. You all are amazing. I love the vibes. I love the energy. I was quiet most of the time because I was doing some other work, but I needed this. I didn't say nothing, but I needed what I heard. So I appreciate you all for being with us today. Thank yeah, you. Definitely. So once again, this um is Dr. K, and we have had yet another amazing, amazing episode. Uh, We talked about imposter syndrome and doctoral students and black women. If you need to hear it again, you know, just go ahead and hit that rewind button. If you can, make sure you share it with someone else. Like, subscribe, subscribe. Like, subscribe, provide feedback. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So make sure you follow us at Black Women Voices. That's B-L-K-W-O-M-Y-N-V-O-I-C-E-S. Stay tuned for another episode coming up. But until next time, peace and blessings to you all.